Welcome to PD Podcast, where we talk to interesting people about interesting things going on in the Elyria schools. Now your host, Amy Higgins. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to PD Podcast. It is a wonderful day. Spring has sprung, and here we are in studio. I'm here with Marty. Hello. Mr. Marty, we've been running around all day today. We were over uh, at Eastern Heights Elementary School watching an amazing illusionist and magician, Rick Smith Jr. That was really crazy, wasn't yeah, it, was it? Really awesome. The kids really got into it. It was amazing. This this guy, I, I honestly can't figure out how he did what he did. If you haven't seen him, you need to get on YouTube or Instagram and Google him because it was crazy. And we're going to have a show about that coming up on our own Pioneer TV YouTube channel. But it's it's amazing and wonderful to see kids having fun. And that ties right into our show today. We want to welcome in studio today Dr. Megan Barlow of Megan Barlow and Associates. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. You know, we met you um, a few months ago, actually. It seems like much longer ago, mm-hmm. but it's just flying. This year is flying. Uh, back in November, you came to Elyria Schools to um, do some professional development for our staff. And I sat in on that uh, session. I thought it was fantastic. There were just so many practical things about um, what you said, and a lot of it related to the stress that we're we've been dealing with um, over the last two years, post-pandemic, during the pandemic, and and the toll that it's really taken on all of us. And and you Mm -hmm. offered strategies for for dealing with that. Um, You know, that's how we got to know you first in Elyria, I think. Uh And since then, you've brought some other uh, sessions to us uh, specifically for our parents. Right. But can you talk to me a little bit before we get into um, really the meat of of um, what we're talking about? I mentioned how fun it was to see kids today being kids. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, doesn't that just lift your spirit? It really does. And I think I you talked about you know spring has sprung, and I think that uh, kind of coming out of the you know hundred days of darkness that we see around here, it it, it really kids getting outside and playing. And, and I think it is, it is just really refreshing to see that. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I think it's more than a hundred days. It probably though, is. It? But yeah. in you know. Cleveland, I think yeah, we, we have like the, the grayest skies of yeah. even yeah, more I think than we're Seattle, num- I think. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think we're number two in the nation yeah. for clouds. Cloud cover. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So it is, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, in my, in my clinical practice, just hearing um, kids and teenagers even saying, and myself feeling it, you know, okay, you just kind of feel a little bit more hopeful this time of year, you know, whether or not we have, we all have sort of a Cleveland version of seasonal affective disorder or, or not. It's, it's sort of, uh, I think something that we all feel when, when this time of year is like, Oh, good. You know, I've, a change, a change is coming. So yeah, and especially this year after what everybody's been through. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Barlow, you're a psychologist. Can you right. talk a little bit about um, your specialties? Sure. So I'm um, a clinical child psychologist, and I see a wide range of, of kids and families who come to my office. They, you know, might have a concern about some sort of um, adjustment, you know, maybe a family situation, divorce, or 
something along those lines, or they might have a, di- a diagnosed um, disorder like an anxiety disorder, or obsessive compulsive disorder, um, autism. Um, but I also work with kids who have chronic or acute medical problems. So, and so, you know, how they adjust to that and how it might impact um, their functioning day to day, maybe even like headaches and stomach aches, chronic um, kind of conditions like that. Um, but work with, you know, a wide range of problems and, um, they come to my office and sometimes we meet, you know, on a regular basis. Sometimes it's checking in every month or a couple months, something like that, helping them with social skills, things like that. And as you've, um, how, how long have you been in the business? Um, well, I guess since 2006. So how many years is that now? I don't know. How many? I, I'm a communications major. <laughs> 15, 16 Math years, something like strength. that. Yeah. Yeah. Something along those lines. I'll take your word for mm-hmm. it. That sounds right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I bring that up because, um, you know, I, I'm just so interested in your, uh, vision of what's changed significantly mm-hmm. over this time. I mean, I have my own, thoughts on, you know, Marty and I've worked for the school district a long time. You see changes, obviously, you know, over the course of mm-hmm. the years that you cover schools, um, things that come in and out, things that you deal with in terms of um, issues that come up or, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, interests that kids have. And then as a parent uh, mm-hmm. as well, you know, mm-hmm. you you see what, um, how things change for your kids as they go through their school years. But in your um, clinical view, mm-hmm. um, what have been some of the greatest uh, impacts or issues over the, over the time that you've been in this business? Um, I think that we, we know that anxiety has been on the rise, even, even pre-COVID. Um, that's something that I think I see, I have noticed a lot more of. Um, and then I think, I don't know if it's over the years or just kind of where I've practiced. I used to work um, at the Cleveland Clinic. And so I was at the, the main campus for a while. And then I transitioned to one of the family health centers on the West side. And then I went into private practice. Um, I don't know if it's more a function of the, the types of kids that I work with now in, in private practice or, or the years. Um, but I think what I'm seeing is a shift in um, the kids feeling a lot of pressure and I think parents feeling a lot of pressure and um, you know, this kind of weight or belief that they have to be productive all of the time, you know, starting in, I mean, really starting so young, I I would say middle school is kind of what I was thinking in terms of um, like getting good grades and, and, you know, thinking about college and things like that, that I'm, I'm hearing, you know, middle schoolers talking about that kind of stuff. But I actually think it even starts younger than that in, in sports, you know, it's sort of like, you got to get in and you got to get active and doing like year round, you know, soccer or basketball or whatever it is. It's not, it's not seasonal anymore. It's not like, oh, well, this is basketball season. And then when that ends, you do, you know, lacrosse or something different. It's like you have to specialize and you have to be really good. And oh, you're nine. Well, it's too late to try a new sport now, you know, because everybody else is sort of ahead of you by now. Um, And I think that is just, I I feel like it is, um, there are good intentions. You know, I think parents kind of operate with this feeling like they're going to have their 
put their kids at a disadvantage or, you know, their, their kids aren't going to be set up for success in some way. But I think that it's backfiring and that, you know, our kids are really feeling like everything is becoming a job or a chore or an obligation. And, um, I think they're feeling that I, and, and that was even, you know, pre COVID I would say. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I think that that's, um, you're right. The sports connection is interesting, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I spoke to um, our old AD, uh, athletic director, mm-hmm. years ago, um, and that was one comment that he made about how sports has changed. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, to your point, everybody has to be a specialist in a sport rather than just trying everything mm-hmm. and doing it for fun. Not that they don't have fun at it. Right. I know a lot of kids are very dedicated to it. But uh, it does kind of um, create this new uh, thought process mm-hmm. when you go into it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, just a lot more pressure, a lot more competition, a lot more measuring up against those that you maybe come in contact with in the sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can imagine that that would lead to anxiety and um you know, kind of a, a sense of being good enough. Yeah, I think so. And I think even, I mean, a lot of people talk also about um, social media and kids yeah. growing up really with their lives kind of on display and on, on stage. And actually I was um, talking on Wednesday to a group of parents at one of the um, parent talks that we've been offering and about um, the impact of social media and screen time. And this is a generation of kids who are growing up having, you know, their, their, um, pictures from their first day on earth, you know, their, their parents may be posting a picture about, Oh, welcome Amy to the world, you know, here, here, here's baby Amy. And, um, I think kids are kind of growing up with their lives, like on, on stage and on display. And I think parents also kind of get this feeling that their kids are on display and on stage. And so it, it becomes a lot about like, what, what can I put out there? You know, almost like a PR, you know, what accomplishment or achievement has my kid made that I can put out there in the world? You know, a picture with some trophy or, you know, next to some academic achievement or, um, you know, it's just some, some, it's like, be proud of my kid for this, right? The social media piece is, gosh, where do you even begin or end with it? You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. As parents, I think it's to your point. It's there's this pressure that comes with you know um, having your your you know looking like the perfect uh, scenario right. and and um, and maybe you know a lot of people are just you know I know personally I'm not a big social media user, um, but I do enjoy seeing what's going mm-hmm. on with people I grew up with and the how their kids are growing. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of that too, but to your point, I think it's, it does create a new, um, kind of psyche, I guess, Mm -hmm. for your kids as they grow up in the spotlight and, and they're just so comfortable with, um, you know, at least it appears the kids are so comfortable with just putting their, their lives Mm -hmm. out there now. And, and, um, I know in the school system that often leads to um, issues that mm-hmm. that we need to address because they don't often know 
um, the boundaries. boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, you always try to, to talk to them about the lasting impact of social media and the things that they mm-hmm. do on it. Mm-hmm. I want to rewind a minute because you mentioned the parent engagement sessions. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, um, we've enjoyed, um, this relationship that we're building with you as a district, you came to us for our staff PD. And then um, I know that you have been working with us since March mm-hmm. um, with a parent engagement series. Right. And um, the topics are so timely. Uh, in March, you were here. And, and parents, if you didn't get a chance to sign up, uh, we did a sign up online. But there's still time to come to the last session um, you know, we appreciate a sign up, but you don't have to sign up. You can just come. Um, but, uh, Dr. Barlow was here in March and she talked about, um, setting up routines and structure in the home for mm-hmm. homework and, mm-hmm. um, just studying. And, uh, and then you were here earlier this week to talk about what we were just discussing, mm-hmm. social media and screen time and the mm-hmm. impact. And then we'll talk a little bit about the one to come, but, but, um, take us through a little bit about, um, for those who missed it in March, we talked about, um, the importance of routines. I think this all fits together as we're talking about kids, anxieties, social media pressures, um, you know, all of this fits together, but how important is it to have, uh, a structure in the home? Yeah, I think, um, so many of us, even if we felt like we had mostly, you know, a good structure or routine or rules or whatever. After the shutdown, it was sort of like, okay, we're all in survival mode, you know? So maybe we tried to limit screen time a little bit, or we had some rules about, you know, we're not going to have computers or phones or whatever in, in your room. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, you're doing school in your bedroom with your computer. And so it, everything kind of went out the window for a lot of people or, you know, their kids aren't really getting together with friends. So they're playing video games online with their friends for, you know, hours and hours and hours and parents are trying to get their own things done. And so if their kids occupied, you know, on a screen or whatever, or uh, bedtime is all thrown off, sleeping in, getting dressed, you know, all that stuff, we, we felt like, a lot of people really got kind of, um, we just had to go into survival mode and sort of do what works. And, and then I think, you know, people started feeling like, okay, you know, we need to get things back on track. And, um, and yeah, I mean, our kids are feeling, um, anxious, right? They're, they're feeling, um, uncertain and, we know that routines and structure and rules, clear expectations, um, clear consequences, these are things that help kids feel safe and secure, even if they don't really like it all the time. Um, knowing what to expect is is good for kids. Um, but also just feeling like, you know, our families are kind of, I think, I know that I, as a, as a working parent, oftentimes feel very scattered and very disorganized and like I'm just kind of getting through a few days at a time. And I think that's how a lot of people feel, especially with the additional burdens um, that the pandemic has brought and, you know, having to quarantine or change your schedule or something's canceled. Or I, I think we've rescheduled this podcast like we three have. or four times, yeah. you know, and I think um, it, just having to be flexible with our routines and our structure is very, very important. But how do we, how do we get um, 
sort of a framework in place where everybody uh, knows what to expect and can and can um, operate under some um, guidelines that work for their family, knowing that we might have to be a little bit flexible about that. So really kind of from that perspective, um, we, we started the talk and, and parents always, you know, pre-COVID always have questions about how do I get my kid to, you know, do their homework or how do I get my kid to just like put away their, their laundry or do the dishes, you know, so just sort of family root rules and routines and chores. How do we get people to do that kind of stuff? It's important, but I also like to put it in the context of, um, you know, pre, pre-COVID, as I mentioned, we know that rates of anxiety um, have been increasing in our youth. And post-COVID, we know that anxiety, depression, behavioral disorders, we're seeing these rates doubled um, already, you know, and in our, in our kids and our teens. And as I think about some of the things that help our well-being and happiness overall, um, it's having a sense of purpose, you know, and having, knowing that you fit in connection, purpose. These are all really important, um, things that help us feel good. And as adults, as kids, as teenagers. So knowing that as a kid, you've got some jobs to do, you know, that you actually matter, like putting, doing the dishes or, you know, putting away your laundry or whatever it is that your job or your chore is at home. Maybe a kid doesn't actually like having that chore, but it is helpful for them in terms of their well-being to know, to know that something that they do has an impact on how the household runs. And we can start that from very young ages. And of course, you know, all the way up until adulthood, knowing that what you do matters. So the old fashioned chore list is important. And Mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, is still an important piece to, um, the family life. Yes. Yeah, for sure. What else is there? Um, if, you know, for parents who, who are just tuning in, what else would you recommend as far as like the, um, easy steps to getting started with setting up a structure. I think it, you raised such great points about how things might've been before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and then how that threw everything off for a lot of people, because where you may have limited your child's screen time in the past now out of necessity, Mm -hmm. you know, they're learning from home, they're, you know, doing all of their classwork that way. They're meeting up with friends and family that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times parents are having to do their own thing online and, and it just got all out of whack. Mm-hmm. So how do you push the reset button? I think one of the things that bugs me, I guess, about, um, you know, parenting books or advice, especially when we're talking about, you know, a like a news segment, you know, three tips for, for parents or whatever. That's quick and that's easy and that's helpful, but... I think if you've ever tried to put those things in place, you know, sometimes it's like, well, that doesn't really work for me. Or you might hear it and you're like, well, yeah, but that seems kind of impossible because, you know, here's what we've got going on, or I don't think I can do that. So before I give people, you know, do these three things, um, which I'm sorry, I don't even know if I have do these three no, things okay. that's going to work for every family. <laughs> but I think what I, what I tell people or what I encourage them to do is to actually step back and, and really kind of assess their, their family and the people in their household or, or the people who are, um, really 
central to the family. So maybe they've got a caregiver who like a grandparent or a babysitter or something who doesn't live in the household, but who is a part of the day-to-day running of the household. I really encourage people to even write it down on paper, you know, write down everybody's name, you know, mom, dad, whatever the kids are, or grandma, whoever, and think about each person as an individual and think about their qualities. You know, well, this person, their sort of strengths and weaknesses, right? And just kind of what makes them tip, tick, how they operate, you know, their, um, even things like not a morning person or really creative, you know, really easygoing, flexible, um, and, and to just get a sense of who each character is. And then I encourage families to think about um, the times of day or the activities that they do or the, you know, the tasks in the household, like where do they really run into the biggest problems? And, and I think for parents, you know, sometimes you almost get a sense in your, in your gut or something where you're like, oh God, it's bedtime. And, you know, I've got to tell, okay, get off your iPad and get ready for bed. And like, you almost kind of brace yourself for, I feel like you're in my living room. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. It happens in so many houses, you know, and, and you kind of brace yourself for this pushback or, or tantrum or whatever it is. And, um, so think about those moments. What is it that happens throughout the day where you kind of brace yourself and, or, you know, what are the most stressful points of day and think about what's going on at that point in time? You know, what is happening? Where are the problems coming from? Think about what your resources are. And when I say resources, I, I don't mean necessarily, I mean, I would include these kinds of things like, like time and, you know, um, I guess, I don't know, material resources, but I also think about psychological resources, like your energy, you know, or you're just like, I know, for example, that I am not a night person. I am much better in the morning and I have a lot of patience until I don't. And that is usually like when I need to get myself in my pajamas and I need to be done for the day. And I, I can, you know, be a a parent with a good sense of humor and I can be really patient. And when I am telling my kid now, get in bed, like I want to kiss you and I want to leave this room and I want to be done. I want you to move like, and I want you to have everything that I just told you to do done 10 seconds ago, you know? And, and so I think about, okay, how do I use what I know about myself? And then that kid I'm trying to put to bed who kind of dawdles, you know, (laughs) I need to know all of the sort of pieces of, of our family and what else is going on? What are the other characters doing? What else is happening at that time of day? You know, what are the jobs that need to be done? And I have to start thinking about how can we capitalize on that, right? So I have a 14-year-old who I, I do not like it. I, I, I really am bothered by the fact that I can't tell my kids, okay, everybody, it is now bedtime. Get in bed, close your eyes and go to sleep. Right. I recognize that my 14 year old is in that teenage sort of thing where she doesn't really want to get in bed and close her eyes and go to sleep when I tell her to. But she gets up in the morning when it's time. She's not late for school. You know, she is able to do the things she needs to do. So we've got a couple dogs now. You know, 
I have shifted some of the nighttime responsibilities over to her. Hey, can you let the dogs out one more time before you go to bed? Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. She's kind of taking that over. She likes, I think, having some of that responsibility and independence and the fact that she gets to, it, it's like, okay, that she's up a little later and she's doing these things and, you know, I can be done, right? I can kind of, so sort of thinking about how can you rework some of those problem areas so that it is, you're turning it around from sort of like the worst part of your day to some opportunities for people to really shine, right? And and then whatever you have left over, you know, when, when there are still problems, like people aren't, you know, doing the things that they need to do, making rules and setting consequences, but making sure that those consequences are logical, you know? So, if it's something like um, you need to bring your laundry down or what, whatever your, your rule is or the instruction is that you're giving, um, you know, you need to get it, get your dirty laundry in your hamper or whatever um, at a certain time. I mean, the logical consequence might be, oh, well, you didn't have it ready when I was going to do the laundry. So now, so you have to do the laundry, right? So you have to do your your laundry tonight or whatever. Make it a logical consequence, not something like, well, you didn't get your laundry done on time, so now you're grounded this weekend. That Maybe that doesn't necessarily connect, and it ends up sort of contributing to kids feeling like they're kind of holding a grudge against their parents. Like, that's not fair. That, that's so stupid, you know? And it, and it, it sort of takes away the importance of mm-hmm. whatever the job is, whatever the task is that, you've, that you instructed your kid to do. You know, it sort of now all of a sudden it, it muddies, like, why was that even important? Right. But when they start to see, oh, it's important because now I I get it. I get that you have to like, actually laundry has to go in the washing machine at a certain time and then in the dryer at a certain time and time to be ready for whatever we need it for, you know, like they can start to make those connections and, and it can mean something instead of you just nagging them. Yeah. And, um, it's great too when they're older like that to actually um, see how that works mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, it does take part of mom's time or dad's time to actually, you know, grab up all this these clothes, sort them out, right. put you know, put them in there, go back down, get them in the dryer. And there is probably a a new sense of appreciation, maybe even for the things that the parent does for the child in that scenario. And one of the things that we ended up talking about um, during that that parent uh, series was laundry and how (laughs) sometimes we have to have a conversation with our kids about like, here's what's not working, you know? maybe it bothers you that you do laundry, you fold the laundry and you put it in a laundry basket and your kid doesn't put it away for, you know, a week plus you're, you have to nag them like 40 times before they actually do it or tell them that they can't go to their friend's house until their laundry is put away or whatever it is. If that is a repeated problem, if that's something that happens week in and week out, have a conversation about it. You know, this is a, this is a problem that we seem to have every week. Here's the deal. What bothers me is when I take the time to fold the laundry and then I see that it's like all, you know, unfolded in that laundry basket and, or I need the laundry basket because I've done another load of laundry and now I don't have anything to put the clothes in or whatever it is that is your problem with it. You know, whatever 
your issue is and then asking your kid, but tell me like, what is your problem with it? What, what is it that you're thinking about, you know, putting away the laundry or what gets in the way of you putting away the laundry or whatever. And if a kid might say, well, it's just annoying because it's so much easier for me to get my clothes out of the laundry basket than in the drawers. Or I know I'm going to wear all those things. So why take the time to put it in the drawers, or whatever. Sometimes we have to actually step back and think, oh, okay. I, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But the only thing is I just, I guess I need the laundry basket back. So can we, or, or maybe, maybe I need to buy another laundry basket or whatever it is, but how can you solve that problem? You know, there, mm-hmm. there might be then an opportunity to kind of brainstorm and think creatively about how do we get around that problem? Or maybe you uh, want to wear something that's not wrinkled. <laughs> right. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. I that's don't know. what I, I was that thinking. My, yeah. <laughs> if you fold really Pulling neatly it out of the, and stack nicely, oh, okay. you so probably they're, get away they're folded with it. in a laundry basket? <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> folded in the laundry uh, basket. But some kids will say, so. actually, when I brought this up with the family I was working with, the mom told me, I never fold the laundry. Oh. Because my kids yikes. just wear it so quickly. And I thought, yeah. that just kind of blew my mind because I guess probably, you know, I grew up, my mom folded my laundry. I Luckily, my husband has the laundry job in our household, so I don't have to actually <laughs> fold. The, I talk about it like I'm folding the laundry, but it's really him that does it. Um, but I, it just never occurred to me that you wouldn't fold the laundry. But I guess it, it's like there's more than, there is more than one way to do something, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes our kids actually have a good point, and maybe it's not such a big deal. I mean, my kid wears like, athleisure, I guess. Is that what it's called? You know, yeah, so right. I don't know that it really does get wrinkled that much. More. I think my son, uh, Augie, he, uh, he just uh, pulls it all out of the dryer in the basket and then picks out of the... Yeah. And yeah. he's a grown man. He's yeah. 32. Yeah, so. I think, I mean, we're a big laundry basket, <laughs> guilty of the laundry basket method too yeah. in our house. But I honestly can't imagine not folding it because for the very reason that you pointed out, Marty, because everything comes out in like a rumpled mess if you're not wearing it right away. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's like you have to wash it all over again. That's right. That's what, (laughs) but it bothers me more when my kids, because I've nagged them to put away their laundry, they then put clean clothes in the hamper because they just don't feel like put, taking the time to put it in their drawers where, you know, and then I'm mad at them because I'm washing or my husband is washing <laughs> the clean clothes, you know, it's so frustrating. But if I stopped and thought about it, like, okay, well, they'd rather just, what is the problem with leaving it in a basket or a bin or piles on the floor or something? Maybe I have to think about it differently. And people always say that phrase, like pick your battles. Mm -hmm. I don't really like that particular phrase. I don't know why I don't like it, but I think it's just maybe so like cliche or trite or something like that. But I guess underneath it, the meaning of it is really important. Like maybe it's not worth fighting about putting away laundry and how we put it away week in and week out, but maybe something that is more important to me, like are you, you know, keeping up with... uh, responsibilities like your schoolwork are you um are you helping out around the house are you being responsible for your things you know that those kinds that might be more important to me than nagging them about their laundry or you know so Mm -hmm. I guess it is sort of about taking stock of what 
of who everybody is, where the problem points are, how you're, where your what your patterns are, and if you can think about it in a different way, so that you can focus on really what is more important to you to change and prioritize, I guess. And I, I like that getting to know like the characters in your house, yeah. you know, you all live together and you know, your little quirks and things, but really kind of stepping back and assessing like, you know, I know this about myself and, you know, to your mm-hmm. point that I, I know that I don't function well when I'm tired and, you know, when I'm done, everybody needs to be done because yeah. <laughs> it's just not, you know, going to mm-hmm. work. Um, when I would assume, and, and I love the whole idea of it because I don't often get to that point. I'm one of those moms and my kids are still young enough where you can say, well, because I said so Mm -hmm. one of those moments, Mm -hmm. which I really hate when I do it, but Mm -hmm. I do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, the idea of like actually working through the problem and giving people ownership in it and maybe letting them have some wins Mm -hmm. because you, you know, come to a consensus that, you know, maybe that there's a different way is better than yelling at each other. Yes. (laughs) I think it's definitely better than yelling, but I, I know that there are some, there are some things that we are going to need to tell our kids. It, It might not be because I said so, but like you might not need to use those specific words, but there are some calls that parents are going to make and mm-hmm. their kids don't necessarily have as much of a say so in, right? Mm-hmm. Like parents and kids don't necessarily have an equal vote necessarily mm-hmm. in what is and isn't allowed. For example, like I do manage my kids screen time. You know, I do have limits about how much time they can spend on their phones, whatever. And I know that my kids don't like that. Uh, And they feel like they're the only kids who have screen time limits and things like that. And my 14 year old actually, and I had a conversation the other night and, and she said something because I, 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 um, I feel like I already kind of give more than I'm actually comfortable with because I, you know, you're sort of stuck in this, like, I don't really like you on TikTok or whatever, but I kind of know that that's some, or Snapchat, but I know that that's how a lot of your friends communicate. And I'm okay with some level of that because I figure you probably need to learn how to use these things. And I would like to help you learn. And I also don't want you to just go behind my back and do it because you and, and and then get yourself into a spot where you can't come to me and talk to me about a, a problem or a question or something like that because you're afraid you're going to get in trouble because you snuck behind my back to to do it, you know? So I, I already feel like I'm kind of giving more than I'm comfortable with, but I do have a limit of where I say, you know, I, and, and she acknowledged, I know that you probably know more, like because of what you do, I know that you probably know more than other parents but I just wish, you know, I feel like you don't trust me or I feel like I'm like a baby or something compared to my friends because they're, you know, allowed to manage their own time or whatever. And I, I can, I can acknowledge and respect where she's coming from. I really do recognize that that's hard for her and it is annoying and frustrating for her. And I can say, I'm, I'm really sorry it is that way. And it's just where it is right now. It's just what's happening. So it's not really because I said so in a like 
mm-hmm. no discussion, mm-hmm. let's stop talking about it kind of way, but it is more of a, I'm hearing what you're saying and I get it and I know this is hard and this is where it is. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry about that, you know, but I also do try to, um, there are certain situations where maybe if a kid is, is like one of my own kids or, or if I'm working with families and kind of managing through some, working through some of these trouble spots, like if a kid is really bugging you and you're sort of at a point in, in your day or, you know, you can't really think clearly and you sort of know maybe, but I already said no, but now you're bugging me about it. And I'm kind of thinking maybe, because I actually don't know why I said no in the first place, but I'm sort of, I can't actually think clearly about it. It, it is okay to say something like, right now, we're going to stick with my original no. I get it though, that maybe there's something more I need to think about. So let me think about it and we'll talk about this later. Or like, I want to hear what you have to say. We'll talk about it later. So again, it's not a, because I said so it's more of a, like, let's stick with this for now, but we, we will revisit, you know, let's talk about it. now. I'll hear what you have to say, because sometimes you just can't, you can't have these like, you know, coffee talks while you're trying to manage everything going on. You can't have a calm conversation with your eight-year-old about Roblox or whatever, you know, and, and what they want to do and buying Robux or whatever. And you, you just need to get through the moment and you're trying to avoid a meltdown, but you, you're also trying to maintain their respect and their dignity and a collaborative relationship, you know? Yeah. I, I love that. I, I hope I don't say because I said so as often as I think I do. <laughs> we'll really look at that from now on. <laughs> um, I, with with regard to screen time, mm-hmm. um, you said that you you know you work really hard to manage that in your own children's lives. What is there a magic number? I mean, I know you can go online and search yeah. what's appropriate. It seems really unrealistic yeah, these days, does. though. I have mm-hmm. to say, and I say ten minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. When you get home after you do your homework, yes, and then you yes. go to bed. His children mm-hmm. don't live at home anymore. Uh-huh. Or I'm going to tur- turn. The internet <laughs> Did I mention off. they're uh-huh. in technology? So uh-huh. right, so they're <laughs> Let's on all just day. Start there. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't have uh, smartphones when they were little. Yeah, mm-hmm. it has changed the mm-hmm. world for sure. My, mm-hmm. I remember my daughter the most being on the internet. Um, because it really wasn't that old. Uh, so it sort of evolved as they were evolving, mm-hmm. uh, as their ages. Mm-hmm. And uh, she used to have to sit at the computer table with the desktop computer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so at least, you know, because I know how hard it is to take them off when they're chatting and mm-hmm. right. whatever. Um but at least we can just walk by, keep walking yeah. by. She didn't carry the, the computer to her stuff. room every yeah. time she was. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> right, and, and now on the phones, you can, I mean, you can barely, I can barely see, you know, yeah. the, yeah, the yeah. phone. So, yeah, on a gigantic desktop, you had a little bit of a better. <laughs> right. Vision. And, I mean, a lot of these apps, I mean, that you weren't even talking about apps. I'm sure there's an, an entire show we could do mm-hmm. on what parents should know about apps. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really, like, you know, if you're not really into it yourself and your kids could be on something that looks completely uh, 
you know, could be anything. And the dark web. And it could but be I think they, terrible. They all, and something that came up in our conversation on Wednesday with the parents is um, our kids can be perfectly you know, innocent and, and naive. And, um, but they are growing up in like, you know, if I, if I didn't know how to spell a word, I had to go look it up in a dictionary, right? My Mm -hmm. mom would tell me that, or my teacher would tell me to look it up in a dictionary, or we would look things up in encyclopedias. Yes. I can't I believe that I used to go set. in encyclopedias. <laughs> to I plagiarized up. from encyclopedias many times. <laughs> You're so successful. <laughs> right. And, and now, I mean, all of us, uh, me too. I mean, I just Google everything, yeah. you know, and, um, and so that is how kids are. I mean, even when my kids ask me questions, I'm like, I don't know, let's Google it and see. Mm-hmm. Right. So they that is their version of going to look something up in an encyclopedia. So when a kid has a question about something, you know, they heard a term from somebody, right? And they're going to Google it. Any number of things they could come across and and just easily click on it. And, you know, yeah. and, and some things that we feel like maybe they're too young or, um, you know, don't really, wouldn't really understand what's what they would then become exposed to, mm-hmm. um, or maybe even desensitized to, you know, so violence or, or sexual content. But, um, but you know, even just like the idea of all of the information about things going on in the world, like things going on in the Ukraine and, you know, just mm-hmm. images of, of bodies and things like that, that you're scrolling past as you then are watching a video of somebody dancing or somebody's puppy or whatever, you know, so it's just like, information overload yeah, yeah, yeah information overload and and it's hard to know what to do with all of that stuff but um but yeah i mean it, it is it is hard to and and we also know that it's a paradox because all of these concerns that come up with their access to the internet and all of these apps and things like that we also know that there's a lot of value you know mm-hmm. right now therapists have long waiting lists. It's really hard to, and almost, you know, I would say almost across the board, it's, it's hard to get in to see somebody now. There are apps and there is technology to help you learn some of the coping skills. And, you know, like, I mean, this podcast, hopefully people are going to have access to information that they wouldn't have had otherwise, right? Or just mm-hmm jokes. I mean, some of the ways that I maintain connections with my friends, it's not really about, you know, posting on social media. It's more like I see a meme and I text it to my friend or, you know, she texts me back or whatever. And it's, we laugh and we're staying in contact, but we're not having, you know, a half an hour or an hour long phone call because we don't really have the time in our stages of life life right now, you know? So there are a lot of benefits that we have access to with these little computers in our phone, you know, in our, in our pocket or whatever. But, but it also brings a lot of, um, sort of new challenges in parenting, I think, and in growing up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that we have to be aware of and and mindful of and educate ourselves and our kids. Yeah. Um, I think even as adults, it's, you just can't turn it off. The flow of information is nonstop Mm -hmm. and you feel this like almost guilt if you don't respond to somebody right away when it's 11 o'clock at night and you really don't have any responsibility to do that, but you feel uh, the need to do that these days. And I'm sure that's 
part of the therapy. That yeah. <laughs> well, and I think you asked at the beginning if there was any, you know, number, yeah, a specific the number. magic number yeah. or so. There are guidelines that do feel very unrealistic, you know, like a two hours or less, right? But we know that our kids in elementary school have Chromebooks all day, you know, so, and their homework is online or whatever. I really encourage families to not necessarily hear that number and then think, oh, well, We've already blown that, you know, so mm -hmm. let's not. So, oh, well, we're just not doing it. But instead to think about what is screen time replacing, you know, so if 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 your kid comes home from school and they go right to their iPad or whatever and they're on their iPad until they go to bed or and maybe they're not even going to bed when when you think they should, you know, maybe they're staying up later or whatever is is time on a screen replacing outdoor time, you know, playing with friends? Is it replacing doing homework? Is it replacing sleep? What is it getting in the way of? And so thinking about that and making adjustments if, um, if it is replacing some of those uh, important activities and, and parts of life and really thinking about screen use as kind of a lot of times we talk about sort of analogies to like, you know, a diet or, or the food pyramid or whatever, and kind of thinking about, you know, certain apps and certain things you do on a device. It's kind of like um, junk food or dessert or whatever. Like it's, it's not bad for you to have that as a small part of your diet. Um, but if that's the only thing you have, you know, you're, you're not really doing your body or your, your brain um, a favor, you know, so we think about trying to balance out our, our activities and screen time can be one part of the things that you like to do. But we also think about how does it make you feel, you know, so how are the, some of these apps that you go on, how do you feel? And is it like a lot of little boys, um, and I hate to be so, you know, gender stereotypical, but that is kind of the case where they're just so frustrated and mad about video games or what, you know, they're so furious and throwing things and breaking iPads and stuff because they're so mad about whatever their video game is or when they have to get off of it, you know, and these huge meltdowns and things like that. Um, or, you know, adolescent girls feeling really bad about their, the way that they look because they're comparing themselves to people who are putting, you know, tons of filters on their, on their pictures on Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is that they're, they're putting out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love your comparison to like your diet, mm -hmm. because I think that's something that's very relatable in terms of like what you should do for yourself on a daily basis mm -hmm. and then what you can treat yourself to, I guess. Right. And Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that makes sense in terms of thinking of screen time and, and how you might limit it or, um, allow it in your house for your kids. Mm -hmm. But as we, um, as we mentioned that you, you're here again in May, mm -hmm. coming back to Elyria in May, on May 11th, you'll be back at Elyria High School in the dining hall, yep. uh, talking about social skills and social problem solving. And we started the show kind of talking about the rise in anxiety and um, these kinds of, you know, feelings that kids are experiencing maybe more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, this to me is just um, such an important topic uh, if you're a parent. Um, how do you even help your kids when they come home and they're dealing with social issues at school? I think um, 
probably the one of the most important things I think to keep in mind is um, to avoid the temptation to make assumptions or um, show your cards, I guess, as a parent, you know, you sort of show your emotional cards because I think our kids might come home and let's say they make a statement like, um, you know, no one, no one will play with me at recess. And that just kind of tugs at you as a parent, you know, you, you feel bad for your kid. You feel like you want to defend your kid. You, or maybe you feel like your kid has done something to deserve it. You know, maybe you're critical of your kid, like, well, because you always do such and such. And I told you, if you're so bossy, then people aren't going to want to play with you, you know? So it really pulls from parents, a a kid coming home and saying something like that. It's, it's just so natural for us as parents to have a very strong emotional reaction and to kind of pounce. And I think that our kids sense our intensity and there are, you know, few topics that I think bring such intensity from us. You know, if, if, if my kid is telling me about something that he did on Roblox, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm thinking about something else. I'm, I'm trying to maintain my attention to whatever he's telling me, but I'm not really interested, you know, but if, but if he told me that there was some problem with a kid at school or someone was being mean to him, I would be interested in that. Right. But I have to try to tone it down, tone my intensity down a little bit and not make it such a stark difference from when he tells me about anything else going on in his life. Because, you know, it's almost like if you think about um, a toddler learning to walk, you know, a one-year-old or something learning to walk when they fall down, you know how like you might feel like you want to lunge toward them or gasp or something like that, but you realize that a lot of times they fall down and they look at you for your, mm-hmm. your reaction, yeah. you know? And like, if, if you've got an upset look on their face, all of a, on your face, all of a sudden they start crying. If you just do like a, uh Oh, then, you know, they might just say, uh Oh, and they get, they get up. Right. So it's, we need to kind of get ourselves regulated, I guess, and, and sort of calm enough to like, we want to hear about it. We want to explore whatever it is that they say, but we don't want to give a signal like this is an emergency. You know, this is a horrible thing that's happening and we need to, we need to react and, and get it handled ASAP. Um, The other thing is we don't want to like interrogate, you know? So sometimes when, when we think about, let's say, you know, middle school girls, right? And a lot of the kind of social like in group and out group and a lot of the quote unquote drama that comes up. Um, if our kid tells us something about that and, you know, the next day we don't want to right away ask what was so-and-so nice to you? Did they include you? Did they, did what happened at lunch today? Did they say this? Did they say that? Did anybody do this? If we start getting into a habit of interrogating, a couple different things can happen. One, our kids maybe clam up and don't want to tell us anything anymore. And that's why it's helpful to also, I think kind of, if you've already taken stock of the characters in your household and you know, oh, well, so-and-so is really private, you know, they, they, they don't share too much, but when they do, it's like important stuff or, you know, oh, so-and-so just kind of 
has a running commentary about what's going on in their head, you know, but you, you kind of need to know who, who you're dealing with in your household. Right. But if you've got a kid who is kind of private and now all of a sudden they told you one little thing and now you're like pulling and pulling and questioning and, you know, one bit of information turns into 55 more questions, they are probably going to be a lot less likely to open up to you in the future. Or if you tell them that they are, they should handle it a specific way that they're not comfortable with, you know, so you might, you might, well, she's not being, she's not your friend. So you need to stop. Don't sit with her anymore. She's not a good friend. She can't do this. And if you're very um, firm about it, you know, like this is the only way to handle this. You know, maybe your kid's like, well, I still kind of want to be friends with her or maybe I don't want to be best friends with her, but if I'm not friends with her, then I'm going to lose all these other people. So I kind of want to keep things like cordial, you know? So maybe your kid doesn't want to tell you that they're not going to do whatever it is that you told them they should do, right? So you might have a kid who now all of a sudden clams up, or you might have a kid who realizes, oh, this is really the way to get mom's attention, you know, or dad's attention. They really zero in on me and what's going on with me when I'm having a problem with somebody, right? So then all of a sudden it's almost like we accidentally reinforce having social problems. And, and, you know, sometimes that kind of fuels the fire and kind of like leads to ongoing problems with friends because it's a way that, that our kids can get the nurturing or attention from, from us. Um, so we want to make sure that we're staying calm and maybe asking, not asking questions, but more like, um, if your kid comes home and says, you know, I, I hate Marty. He's such a jerk. Instead of jumping in with, sorry, Marty. That's what Amy always (laughs) says. Instead of jumping in right away with Amy, that's not nice. You know, we don't, we don't call people jerks or, you know, like instead of trying to jump in and see, (laughs) we don't want to jump in and correct, but we also don't want to jump in and be like, what did that jerk do? You know, we don't want to jump in too hard on either, either direction. We might say like, Marty's a jerk. What, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, Or, and sometimes I just, why are you a jerk? (laughs) Why do you have to be such a jerk? (laughs) Right. And maybe not even saying why, but maybe just uh, repeating, you know, like, oh, Marty's a jerk. And then our kids are more likely to say, yeah, he told me that I couldn't play with him and, you know, Sam because only two people could play that game. So then you're like, oh, so at, at recess you wanted to play with him and Sam, but Marty said there were only room for two people. Okay. Well, what were you what were they playing? Checkers. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I could see checkers is kind of like two person, two person. I wonder if there's a way, you know, I wonder what you could have done about that. Right. And so maybe, maybe your kid would say, well, I just wanted to be teammate. I just wanted to play like on his team or, you know, so you could, you might have an opportunity to say, what do you think you want to do about that? Right. Or what, what do you think you could do or whatever? And so kind of let your kid give you ideas They maybe they already know what they want to do. Maybe they already know how they want to handle it. Or maybe they say, I don't know, it's fine. And they don't want to do anything about it. And that's okay. They don't, kids are learning how to get along with each other. I mean, that is a huge part of what 
elementary, middle, high school is is about, right? It's about how to get along with people and how to be a part of a group and how to manage all of these social dynamics. So so I think sometimes it's helpful to, to kind of like file away the phrase, yeah, sometimes that happens, you know? And But as a parent, then you're kind of keeping track of these incidents and you're kind of keeping keeping it on your radar so that you can identify or help your kid identify any sort of patterns. You know, is there a particular friend who typically makes them feel pretty bad or left out? And then you can start having some conversations about that. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's a friend who's usually a pretty good friend and there's like an off day, you can let them know that's actually pretty typical. Like maybe, maybe see how it goes tomorrow, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, that I'm glad you brought that up with the uh, just filing it away because I think you're right. As parents, you do tend to you have such a strong reaction, um, especially if your kid tells you something that you know you perceive as hurting them in some mm-hmm. way, whether it's you know their feelings or um, they were excluded or or whatever the case may be. And mm-hmm. and you're right. I think the natural inclination might be to, well, you don't, don't play with that person anymore. Right. You're, you know, they're not a nice friend or, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, but to allow them to work through it as, with your prompts and things, and then filing that away, because mm-hmm. clearly you wouldn't want to, um, you know, ignore a pattern or right. something. Um, mm-hmm. but if you saw something that kind of appeared to be an area of concern, mm-hmm. Um, what do you recommend for parents in the way of, I mean, there's so many scenarios, so I know I'm just kind of blindly throwing Mm -hmm. this out there, but, um, what would be, um, kind of the recommended course of action for actually dealing with something that, you know, you, you felt is, you know, an issue in your child's life that might be causing anxiety or social, um, pressure at school? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are a few a few different scenarios that I could, that I can, that come to mind that are pretty common. But, um, you know, one is if you feel like your kid is being targeted, right. And somebody's just being mean to them for no reason. And if we're talking about a younger kid, like an elementary school age kid, um, I would say, you know, there are a couple different ways to handle it. One is, and, and, you know, maybe one of the kind of, um, first steps, if you're really getting a sense that something is going on that's not right, it's really hurting your kid and, you know, you've recognized this pattern, I would say some kind of contact with the teacher is probably appropriate just to say, and, and again, not in an accusatory, like really resist that temptation to, um, to go on the offensive and attack, recognizing that, you know, all of us, in this room, our kids have probably done something mean to somebody else at some point in time, because that is a part of learning how to not do mean things to people, you know, that like, you might be hearing your kid's side of it. And you might be thinking that your your kid is being targeted, and there's no, you know, they haven't done anything wrong or whatever. But sometimes a little bit of digging, you realize, okay, there's more to the story than what I'm hearing, right? So we don't want to just go on the offensive, but I think it is important to get a little more information. And I think going to the teacher and just saying something along the lines of, you know, I've been hearing a little bit about 
whatever's happening. Um, I wanted to check with you to see if you can give me any insight into what, what you're noticing or what you're seeing, you know, and, and that teacher, and I've had plenty of situations where a teacher maybe is able to share, well, I can see why your kid would think that, um, you know, the student in particular that they're talking about is a student who has, um, maybe some, some special needs or something. And I don't think it is personal, but it is something that we are working on with that student about, you know, uh, their aggression or whatever. Um, and and then that gives you some, you know, okay. So it's, it's not okay that this kid is, is treating my kid this way, but it's not necessarily like a targeted Mm -hmm. sort of, um, situation. Maybe you handle it differently, but now the teacher knows, you know, what's Mm -hmm. going on. And so then you can get into, all right, well, how do we, what do we do so that my kid doesn't feel so bad coming home from school every day? Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, then you can kind of move forward with it. If it's something though, where you kind of get the sense like, okay, my kid is like, this is sort of a pattern, you know, they, they keep getting kind of like nudged out of groups or like they, they make a friend, they make some friends. And then all of a sudden, like it fizzles and is my kid, at the center of this, like what's happening, you know, um, that's where I think having taken stock and kind of recognizing who your kid is for the strengths and weaknesses and thinking about in a pretty, um, detached way, I guess, what are some of the things that your kid could be doing to contribute to that? And is that something, is there an area there that we can work on some skill building? So like we know, for example, kids who have ADHD, um, often have difficulty with social skills, you know, maybe their, their impulsivity or their, um, you know, inattention to social cues or whatever leads them to kind of fall into these patterns of just like being intrusive, you know, and not recognizing when what they're doing is annoying somebody else. And so how do we help them build those skills to make some changes so that they can maintain friendships? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there are lots and lots of different situations and, and one is probably talk to, talk to the school to see if there's something that they can do to help. The other is to look at and, and, you know, think about what can I do to help my kid, um, make some changes to kind of prevent some of these things from maybe happening to them or help them navigate these situations. I think that's great advice. And, and just speaking from the district's perspective, um, we are lucky enough in Elyria to have lots of resources mm-hmm. at our fingertips. Um, so for parents that, you know, may have a concern, it's a great place to start, as Dr. Barlow pointed out, with your teacher. And then um, the teacher may be able to um, refer you to another specialist on staff mm-hmm. or, or your child to another specialist on staff. Um, to kind of work through some of these issues. Um, I appreciate that you said that. Um, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming to Elyria and offering these parent sessions. I want to say again to anybody who's listening, if you haven't uh, looked into this yet, you still have an opportunity to come and meet Dr. Barlow on a really important topic, again, on May 11th at Elyria High School in the dining hall. She's going to be giving a presentation and really a lot of Q&A mm-hmm. on uh, social skills and social problem solving for children and probably a lot of good tips on uh, helping children resolve conflict. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Anything else to uh, talk about today? We've taken up so much of your time today, but you've been amazing. No, I, I mean, I can't think. Uh, we could probably keep know, doing this, right? Lots we could, of things. Yeah, we could, we could turn this into a series if you really always, wanted to come out here a lot. <laughs> I can always find something to talk about, but I, I do think we've covered a lot today. So, um, you know, maybe I should mention at these talks, Denise has been um, bringing in quite the the spread of food. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it, at the very least people can get themselves some dinner and there's childcare and, you know, yeah. sort of make a night of it. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. I forgot to mention that. Um, these sessions, they, they do come with dinner, mm-hmm. a great dinner. Mm-hmm. And well, now we're going to have to close the doors because we're going to have too so many people. Many people. Um, and if you have little ones, uh, 10 and under, I think it is, they, they are offering childcare there as well. I think I, uh, forgot to mention that the sessions start at five 30. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe is dinner mm-hmm. and then the actual conversation maybe begins around six or oh, no. so. We've or been, we've been right going at like five 30 to seven awesome. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So you don't even have to leave your seat. You're no. in a dining hall. Right. You've got food in front of you. Your kids are taken care of. Yeah. You could just sit listen, absorb, ask questions. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you so yeah, much, you. Dr. Barlow. Where are you, where are you located? Uh, my practice is in Rocky River. Okay. Yeah. So if we want to look you up or yeah. if anybody uh, would like to um, get in touch with Dr. Barlow um, on uh, separately from school, you mm-hmm. can find her in Rocky River. Yep. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. One parting comment for Dr. Barlow. You're not a jerk. that and i think you have to have a serious sit down with Uh your eight-year-old and talk some roblox i know i really do i really do all right thank you bye thank you so much just a little advice to the doctor Uh